Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The music world moves fast. Want to stay up to date on the latest albums and get in-depth examinations with the artists? Check out Consequence of Sound, the podcast. Bite-sized album reviews for the music fan on the go who wants to stay in the know, and much more. Subscribe to the series on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider, and let the writers of Consequence of Sound steer you right. Check it out at consequenceofsound.net slash podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, surprise, and welcome to episode five of season two of Discography. I'm your host, Mark with a C. I'm not only a lifelong record geek and not only the host of this here show on the Consequence Podcast Network, but I've also been releasing lo-fi pop records independently for nearly 20 years now. Discography is a show where we look at a great artist through the lens of only their canonical albums of first release material to see who the music says that they really are and how it all stacks up. Discography aims to educate and inform those listeners who really want to know. All opinions are that of the person that said them because everything is subjective. Discography can be a pretty personal journey, which you should probably know up front. Let's jump in because this is the last go round for this season. Hey Mark, you've already covered Janet's main 11 albums. That's the debut, Dream Street, Control, Rhythm Nation 1814, Janet Period, The Velvet Rope, Demita Joe, All For You, yeah I said those out of order but let it slide, 20YO, Discipline, and Unbreakable. Do you got some news Mark? Well, uh, I kinda do, but I kinda don't at the same time. And that is, okay, diehard Janet fans already know this. And I feel a little weird about talking about this on a podcast that's going to stay up through the ages, but though we've stopped our journey at Unbreakable, it's pretty hard to argue that there is definable proof that Janet Jackson is about to do something new. She's put out Instagram photos of herself in the vocal booth. There's strong proof that she's been filming a music video in New York City. And on top of that, I'm recording this on July 30th of 2018. But by the time this airs in mid-August, for all I know, she's pulled a Beyonce and she surprise dropped a record on us. Now, uh, if you want to kind of follow along what the fans are noticing, check out the hashtag MadeForNow and you'll see what I'm talking about. And this is the main reason that for discography we tried to have the hard and fast rule that we weren't going to cover artists that were still a going concern because I was afraid of finding myself in the position that I'm in right now where I'm going, do we extend the the series until Made For Now or whatever is coming next comes out or how do we handle this? Because the second a new album comes out, this podcast seems unfinished, right? So that's what's going through my head right now. Instead, I'm going to jog your memory to something I've said through 
the first four episodes, which is don't even get me started on the B-sides. Too late. By pressing play today, you have gotten me started on the B-sides. We're going to talk about them. Um, these aren't all just B-sides in their traditional form. You know, like you buy a single and then there's an unreleased song on that, you know, that follows it. It, it. They're not all like that. I'm also going to be covering some non-album singles. And I'm going to try to um, try my best to tell you the, I guess, easiest ways to get them if you want a physical copy. But many of these releases are very out of print. And (laughs) you'll see just how far you got to dig to get them. Anyways, we're going to talk about some of those today. Strap in. This is going to be a fun ride. And there might be a couple surprises along the way. And one last thing, though they are plentiful, a lot of Janet's B-sides and non-album material are just straight-up remixes, and I didn't really dive into remixes, though I tried, it was just in the interest of time, so I'm going to be focusing on songs that didn't make the albums, though I've heard some remixes, and they're pretty rad, but that's not where my focus is today, thanks for understanding. Let's go ahead and kick off with one from 1984. The B-side of the single, Don't Stand Another Chance, a track called Rock and Roll. Best as I can tell, this song is where Janet's non-album songs started first really showing up. Rock and Roll is a nice, fun, bouncy tune, which if you enjoy the album Dream Street, which is what the A-side, Don't Stand Another Chance, comes from, Rock and Roll is right up your alley. It's just kind of more of the same, but a little bit, uh, it's hard to say, a little bit more gusto to this one. Uh, It's a little more sweepy and definitely a lot more of its time. Now, nobody plays the album Dream Street and doesn't you know, hear the sound of 1984. But the B-side rock and roll actually might encapsulate that vibe better than the entire album could. Now, that's not to say you should avoid Dream Street, just that the B-side rock and roll does pack quite a punch. This is going to be one of her easier B-sides for you to track down if you want to do such a thing. See, a lot of these would be, you know, hidden on... Let's say a CD single that only came out in, I don't know, Turkey or something. We'll talk about why that kind of thing happened in just a moment. But right now, let me go ahead and focus on where you can get this if you're searching for it. And it won't break the bank. That's the really cool part. Uh, What you'd be looking for to track this song down would be the U.S. single. Um, There's two different versions of the single. One has... Uh, just a different remix of Don't Stand Another Chance on the B-side, but then pretty much any other version, and that's only in the U.S., pretty much any other version you find, it's going to have rock and roll. That includes the Japanese 7-inch, the Canadian 7-inch, and the Australian 7-inch. Though, if you're looking for the Japan version, that one was merely a radio promo, so I, I don't know how plentiful that one is. Now that's just the intro to a Dream Street outtake called Start Anew. But for a song that didn't make an album, it's a tune that it seemed that Janet herself would continue to come back to. Not only was Start Anew released on its own as a single in Japan, 
It was slapped on to, like, reissues of Control, even though it wasn't actually from that period. To my knowledge, of course, now, there might be a recording where later they touched it up a little bit, maybe made it a little bit fresher for the re-release, but in that period where, you know, they were constantly looking for B-sides in uh, many territories, Start Anew always seemed to be the one that they went for. And between you, me, and the fence post, Start Anew might actually be my favorite early Janet Jackson tune. That's just a personal thing, of course. But I think that Janet herself might have had a soft spot for this one. I've never heard of her performing it live or really looking backwards toward the song all that much, but Start Anew, of course, is quite timely as it was first heard right around the time that Janet was doing that very thing, changing her career course, getting some producers that wanted to help her do things her way, uh, setting herself apart from her family so that she could see what Janet Jackson was like. And really even putting the name Jackson on there was a stretch. She just wanted to see who Janet was. So Start Anew is actually a really, really fitting song and an unfairly overlooked B-side. I think it's quite important to her musical story. Okay, so that disclaimer that I kept giving in the intro of every episode where I was like, not only don't get me started on the B-sides, but I would also say technically these non-album songs weren't eligible for dissertation and discussion here on discography because they didn't appear on a canonical album of first release material specifically made by Janet Jackson, right? Why did I mention that? Because at the time, all right, if you'll remember, early on I told you my the first time I heard Janet Jackson was from a cheap cassette dub that another child who lived in the same house I was living in was playing. So when I heard Diamonds on the radio, I knew Janet Jackson's voice, and no part of me, no part of me thought that that song, which is not a B-side, it was an A-side, and a pretty sizable single at the time, was actually attributed to, are you ready for this? Herb Alpert. Yes, Herb Alpert, the whipped cream and other delights guy well it turns out that he made a record called keep your eye on me and he brought in jimmy jim and terry lewis to produce four of the tracks and two of them ended up with janet jackson on vocals in some capacity now with diamonds in particular janet takes the bulk of the lead vocal duty which is why me and so many other people thought that this was a janet thing and then we would also go well why isn't it on control at least that's what I thought at the time and then I vaguely remembered once I got to the end of the records like hey where's that diamond song did I dream that thing regardless diamonds of course very of the time but the message is not quite in step with the personal independence that Janet was singing about in the album Control, yet it's still quite the jam. And if you happen upon that record, right, and you just want it for the Janet material, turns out you're not actually just getting it for the one song. There's also a tune called Making Love in the Rain. Now, Lisa Keith sings the bulk of the lead vocals on this one, but it's unmistakable when Janet chimes in with her backing vocals. And I've never actually heard this Herb Alpert record. 
and I know what whipped cream and other delight sounds like. You know, kind of space-age groovy bachelor pad jazz, right? So that's what I expect from Herb Alpert. But if Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis drop some Minnesota funk onto that record, now I really want to hear it. And I'm kind of mad at myself that I haven't heard it because that sounds like an amazing marriage. But hey, let's talk a little bit about control and what it spawned. Now, I know I said I wasn't going to pay much attention to the remixes, but I do have to give credit where it's due at points because I found while talking to so many Janet fans while this series aired that a lot of the remixes are held in just as high of esteem as the versions that, you know, the average person on the street might know of any given song. And Control, let's remember, around 1986, this was such a get-out-of-the-way-and-duck hit. I mean, it was huge. People just wanted more. So, the labels gave it to them in the form of some remix albums, and they're a little bit maddening to kind of figure out, like, which one is the right one for you, because it's sort of like, there's around five different versions of an album called Control the Remixes, but they're all hiding something a little bit different, and I was trying to, like, make a chart to go like, all right, which one has the most standalone material? And you know that gif, that um, that meme with Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia trying to connect the dots of like the, the complex murder? That was me, right? That was me trying to figure this thing out. So instead, I'm just going to tell you that this is one straight up confusing thing. And if you want it all, you've got to track down a whole bunch of stuff. So there's one that was specific to Europe. And one of the uh, cool draws about that one is you've got the video mix of the song Control, which might be the version that uh, the average person on the street is most familiar with. And if you like the songs on Control, like Nasty and What Have You Done For Me Lately, well, guess what? You get longer versions of them. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, in the UK, though, (laughs) if you live in the UK, oh, my heart goes out to you if you're trying to track this down, because there's not one, there's not two. There are three completely different versions of the Control Remixes album. That's uh, the CD version, cassette, and vinyl. They all have completely different songs on them. Uh, Some have more songs, some have less songs. I haven't been able to play them, but I looked at the track list and I went, oh, God, this is too much. I already had a headache trying to figure it out. And then there's a completely different one over in Japan, which does have many of the other remixes. Um, I hear good things about the Shep Pettibone remixes. I mean, you know, have you ever heard his seven inch mix of Duran Duran's I Don't Want Your Love? Come on. You know, you know, you can trust Shep. Um, Over in Japan, you've got one called More Control. And this has a lot of the tracks and a couple of specific to Japan tracks because they always have specific to Japan tracks. Either way, there are tons of Control remixes, and I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been like an anniversary edition of Control where they put all of those things in one place. I would imagine there must be some kind of rights hang-up for that not to happen, because Janet's not a stranger to looking back, and she certainly looked back to Control, so, hmm, I gotta wonder why that doesn't exist. I got other things I'm wondering too, but I'm gonna save it. But in particular, the B-sides for Rhythm Nation. This is where it starts getting really groovy. (laughs) 
So see what I mean? It sounds instantly familiar. It's of a piece with the rest of the sound of the Rhythm Nation era songs. But importantly, my understanding is that this track comes from very early on in the Rhythm Nation sessions where AM Records had sort of put forth an idea Hey, Janet, why don't you make a record called Scandal and we can talk about all the tabloid stuff, all the gossip, right? Let's talk about your family. And You Need Me may very well have been written in response to that. Maybe Janet tried it. Regardless, this is one of the most personal and autobiographical tracks that you're going to find in her discography. Plus, it sounds every bit as good as all the other tracks from the inarguably classic Rhythm Nation album, so what have you got to lose? It's easiest to find on the B-sides to the Miss You Much single. There's around 10 different editions of this, and why people would do this, I mean, because it, it seems like a cash grab to release 10 or more CD singles of things, but it's not the cash grab it seems. Instead, if you can release, say, three CD singles for a track, and they've all got different B-sides, then that entices the hardcore fans to pick them all up, and that helps its chart placement. So... This is why some of the B-sides were just remixes and some would have an exclusive tune. Either way, there was something for everybody if you picked up any of her singles starting right around this time. And You Need Me is a great example of that. And since Miss You Much came out before people got to actually hear the context of Rhythm Nation... You Need Me must have been like the ultimate red herring at the time. If you thought that it was indicative of where Janet was going to go on her next record, then you'd be totally right sound-wise because, well, you heard it. It sounds a lot like the Rhythm Nation tracks. But lyrically, if you're like, oh man, she's going to get personal and honest and she's going to take no prisoners and she's just going to nail her family to the wall, you would have been so shocked the second you got to, say, the knowledge on Rhythm Nation. So the B-sides are actually kind of a mind game at this point. Isn't that cool? Alright, so that's part of a tasty, tasty jam called... The Skin Game, it is found uh, on most versions of the B-side of Come Back to Me. Now, story time. Okay, I started keeping a real close eye on Janet Jackson in the days before the first episode of Discography Season 2 premiered. And the reason was, we'd wrapped recording a couple of weeks before the first episode aired, because, I mean, you know, we don't do the podcast live or anything. Lo and behold... Joe Jackson, patriarch of the Jackson family, passes away. Well, we've already wrapped recording. These are locked, loaded, ready to go. We couldn't say anything about it. We couldn't mention it. And I was like, oh man, this could set off a whole chain reaction for Janet. I've got to keep my eye on what she's doing in case, in case it needs to be addressed in an extra episode, just like the one I'm doing right now. So... Her first appearance after her father's passing was at the Essence Music Festival. She was headlining the closing night, and thankfully, there were a bunch of souls in the audience, so that meant that there were more chances that someone was going to be broadcasting it through their cell phone using the Periscope app. So, I'm like, okay, yeah. Now, let's rewind a little bit. 
Janet Jackson was on the Unbreakable tour around 2015-2016. Then she found herself with child, and she's in her early 50s, so that could be a high-risk pregnancy. She took some time off the road, and then, of course, there were some upheavals in her personal life, which is her business and really should stay that, but... When she hit the road again for the State of the World and State of the World 2 tour, we didn't know what was going to change or what have you. Uh, I personally thought it was just going to be the same show from the Unbreakable tour, right? Why am I fast-forwarding to now, right? Okay, so if you're not familiar, if you're not a hardcore Janet fan, dig this. So I'm watching and waiting for Janet to appear on stage at the Essence Music Festival. I'm looking at my little rectangle with the Periscope app installed, middle of the night, right? And the lights go down and everybody loses it and they scream and here comes Janet and she's playing a song and I'm like, that sounds familiar, but I don't know that. Oh God, no, she's not dropping a new song, is she? And no, she wasn't dropping a new song. Instead, for the first time, to my knowledge, live, she played the skin game and then she went right to Instagram and was saying this is a really important song. It's still happening. This this racism is out of control. And she's not wrong. And then I went, wait, what? But, so it's like a message you can only hear if you go see Janet Jackson and the skin game, hear me now and believe me later. Every bit as good as the best songs on Rhythm Nation. But that's how relevant some of these B-sides still are. She's got this Rolodex of classic jams, and it's now like she's got a song for every occasion. I don't think I need to tell you that if you're alive in 2018 that things are a little bit messed up right now. And Janet addresses it with a song that she didn't even have to update from 1989. That's both brilliant and really sad. But regardless, the skin game exists, and it's a total bop. The best things in life are free. That's not a B-side. Actually, it's a cut from the soundtrack of Mo Money, which was produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. It was also a single, and this thing, of course, written by Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, and some cats from Belle Biv DeVoe, this thing was a pretty big success on its own for just being a jam from a soundtrack. It made it to number one on the U.S. R&B charts, uh, made it to ten on the regular old U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and in pretty much every country that it charted in, it at least went top 40. That's not too bad for a soundtrack jam, because, I mean, think about it. Soundtrack jams either get to the level of Over the Rainbow, or I've Had the Time of My Life, or they just disappear forever. Like, there's kind of no in-between, but this one, this one beat the curse. The good news is, you wouldn't have to track down the Mo Money soundtrack to get the tune, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. And that is a hint of the song Runaway, which not only was a runaway hit, but it was the lead single for Janet's first True Blue compilation of singles, which is called Design of a Decade. It chronicles mostly 1986 to 1996. It ignores the pre-control albums completely, but let's be fair, 
at the time that folks were picking that up, they weren't going to look at the back cover and see songs like Nasty and Rhythm Nation and go, hey, where's Fast Girls? That wasn't going to happen, so I get why they did it. But they also threw The Best Things in Life Are Free on that sucker and Runaway and a really cool new Quiet Storm called 24 Play. Come on, you knew we had to talk about the song Scream, right? You'd have to have lived under a rock for the last 30 or so years to not know that in the mid-90s, Michael Jackson was getting raked over the coals by the tabloid press. And you know, that didn't end at Michael. They also, there was even a rumor going around that like Michael and Janet were the same person. Like it was ludicrous. So when Michael brought forth, hey, I wrote a song to address the tabloid fodder, address those critics, Janet was all too happy to take part and they made the classic tune scream. It's not just classic if you like Janet Jackson or if you like Michael Jackson. I mean, this thing was inescapable in 1995 when Michael first premiered it. I believe the first appearance was the History compilation, which is half new material and half older material from Michael Jackson, but the single itself, it went top 10 in so many countries, I cannot freaking count it. I mean, we're talking top 10 in the US, in Australia, in the UK, in Austria, in Switzerland, Belgium, Sweden, Canada, France, Spain, Scotland, Italy, the Netherlands, New Zealand. If they had a chart, Scream laid waste to it at the time. And if you've got ears, Scream will still lay waste to you. That's a little hint of the song One More Chance, which was the B-side to the Get Out of the Way and Duck classic single, If. There are a lot of really cool B-sides from the period of the Janet album. Three of them, really. Three that are totally essential, not available elsewhere. And they're kind of a drag if you're trying to find them all in their first appearances. For example, as I said, One More Chance was the B-side to If. Then there's And On and On, which I want to say... Well, let me check my notes here. Uh, that was the B-side to... Anytime, Anyplace. And 70's Love Groove was the B-side to You Want This. So that would be pretty scattered, right? There's an album called Janet Remixed. Hardcore fans certainly already aware of this, but I didn't know about this till I was like really deep into the catalog that basically it kind of pulls what Trent Reznor would do with a remix album. See, he put out an EP called Broken and then there was a completely remixed and almost unrecognizable version of those songs known as Fixed. And Janet Remixed seemed to kind of be along those same lines. Some of the remixes don't really change all that much, and some of them are complete and total facelifts. 
Some of them are the versions of the tunes that you might recognize from the radio, specifically the mix of Anytime, Anyplace that closes pretty much all the additions. Okay, here's the hang-up about that. If you get the Janet remixed album, you can get all of the standalone B-sides that I mentioned, which are, and on and on, One More Chance, and 70s Love Groove, all of which are deserving of your attention if you've gotten this far in the series and you're having a good time. Here's the unfortunate part. If you get it on CD, you don't get one more chance. I don't know why that's the case. It's just the case. However, the vinyl and cassette versions, you get everything. So, pick your poison on that one. They're worth your trouble. That's what I'm getting at. They're worth your trouble. Especially 70s Love Groove. You've never been before Before I continue here with the non-album roundup I want to say thank you so much for listening to Discography, of course, and I'm going to tell you that again at the end. If you want to talk to us here, well, check it out, facebook.com slash discography on CPN. That's short for Consequence Podcast Network, of course. If you want to interact with me directly on Twitter, you can find me at Mark Fi. That's M-A-R-C-F-I, as in there's Lo-Fi, Hi-Fi, Mid-Fi, and Mark Fi, or Facebook.com slash Mark with a C Music, though... Uh, there's a bit of a transitional period and I won't always be the person handling my own social media, but for right now, Twitter's probably the way you can get my attention. So, that being said, I also want to take the time to thank Janet Jackson, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, everybody who's been involved in making these records because, frankly, pop culture in general would be unrecognizable without all that Janet Jackson did. And the hills that she had to climb to do it. And we've got so much great music to enjoy, thanks to those labors. So, special shout-out goes to them. And uh, I know that Jimmy Jam took a listen, so hi, Jimmy Jam. Thank you very much for tuning in. Also, want to say a big thank you to my cohort, who's not here with me today, but he's always here with me today in my heart. Chris LeBrain from Chris LeBrain's Campaign. He's also a DJ in Florida on WPRK FM 91.5, the best in basement radio. And uh, I can't argue that it really is the best station we have locally. He is in that band, Crystal Brains Campaign. I told you this was going to be good. That's just a taster of an upcoming song from the full album. Though I don't know, he might release that one as a single. The track is Galaxy 80, and right now available at the band camp is the Mental Love Affair single, which has a cool B-side called Music for Spaceships Metro. We couldn't have done this season without him. Thank you so much, Chris, and thank you to you for listening. It's been a blast doing this for you. And of course, a big thank you to the Jan fam, the Janet Jackson hardcore fan base. Without your reach and all the retweets and forwarding and commentary, this podcast never would have reached all the ears that it did. I'm going to talk more about that fan base in just a little bit because you stole my heart. But I do want to turn it over to one particular fan for just a moment. This particular fan's name is Mike Leatherland, and Mike runs a Twitter account which is at 
induct Janet. And Mike's the grassroots organizer of a campaign to try to get Janet Jackson really noticed. Really noticed by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I asked Mike about it, and Mike was nice enough to give me a few minutes of their time to tell me about their efforts and how far they've come with such an endeavor. It would behoove me to mention the lack of love from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Actually, Janet has been nominated a couple of times, but she's been eligible since 2007. was actually snubbed for quite a few years back to back to back. That's actually what prompted me to get involved with the hashtag induct Janet kind of grassroots campaign and start to get some momentum going for Janet's worthiness and, and the accolades. My goal for the campaign was really just to, like I said, raise awareness, focus on our achievements, impact, influence, and really keep it positive. A lot of campaigns for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they tend to skew on the negative side or they bash the committee members or bash the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame itself. But I didn't want to do any of that because it doesn't get you anywhere. And really kind of kill them with kindness, if you will. And really, it's the proof is in the pudding. It's all about Janet's career and, and her achievements anyway. So that's where we chose to focus. We actually had a couple of Induct Janet trending events on social media with just that hashtag, hashtag Induct Janet. And Questlove, who is a member of the nominating committee, responded and, and followed back. And that's when we knew that we, we started to gain some traction and we're like, hey, this this movement may actually be real. It's been kind of fun to watch it take off. And I've got some some folks that are you know diligent about forwarding things and spreading things. And there's some graphic artists that are really, really, really talented that just volunteer their time to come up with memes and graphics and all kinds of things to help make those trending events, you know, basically go viral. So that's been kind of humbling and, and pretty amazing at the same time. But I'd have to say that, you know, like, Questlove and Missy Elliott and Jimmy Jam, when they acknowledge what we're doing and retweet and follow and get involved, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. That feels really, really good. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, equally frustrating because, you know, she was nominated twice, like I mentioned, but didn't get inducted. And last year was completely left off the ballot altogether. It's been kind of easy to overlook Janet in the past, especially, you know, post Super Bowl 2004, it was almost cool to you know, bash Janet, throw her under the bus, and it's really kind of tarnished her legacy. And just recently, had that started to, to turn around, um, amazingly, you know, there's been all kinds of print and podcasts such as, you know, yours and quite a few others where I think people are realizing that, hey, you know, if you look at Janet's discography and her catalog, it's pretty stellar and it stacks up just about as well as, as you know, you could imagine stack it up against anybody and it'll, it'll have legs. So I, I do think that it was easy to keep her off the ballot in favor of some other artists year after year after year. But at some point, I mean, they just gotta, gotta rectify that wrong and, and get her in and don't get me wrong. It's great that she's made the ballot, but you know, in a way it's almost more painful to get so close and have her get so close and because she's so deserving and you know extremely extremely humble and you know that's very endearing but you know it doesn't get the masses out there to, to vote in her corner so i guess that's what we're here for you know you've got the fans such as myself and a bunch of the other facebook and twitter pages kind of going wild for trying to keep it all relevant and viral looking a little bit different this year 
2018. Janet's had quite a year. Um, again, lots of momentum in her favor. If we think back to February, right around the Super Bowl time, there was a, a trending hashtag for Janet Jackson Appreciation Day that just took off like a, a skyrocket. It was trending pretty much the entire day on Super Bowl Sunday. So that, that was pretty amazing. Billboard named her their icon of the year. There was even an iHeart Radio Disney Impact Award that actually is the inaugural recipient of Janet this year, and they've named the award after her. So going forward, it's the Janet Jackson Impact Award for Radio Disney, so that's kind of cool. And then later in the summer, BMI is awarding Janet with another Icon Award for the R&B and, and Hip Hop Awards. And that's kind of special because it's more on the songwriting and production side of the house where Janet tends to get, you know, kind of overlooked, where she actually had quite quite a lot to do with the songwriting and the, the creative aspects of her career. And would kind of put an exclamation point on a, a nomination if she is to appear on that ballot again this October. So the, the criteria itself for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a, is a little bit vague and, and somewhat sketchy. It's not on their website and you know, there's not some guidelines that they typically follow when they were thinking about an, an artist for nomination and or induction. But when you look at those kind of musical pillars and landmarks, if you will, Janet's got everything imaginable from the career longevity to critical acclaim to cultural impact, influence, and then not to mention the, the chart success and sales success, which that really should just be the icing on the cake because, you know, it, it's not all about the sales. Obviously, that's huge and that could be a tipping point, but Janet's got every single thing on the list and then some. So it really just pads her resume and, and it really makes it a no-brainer, which, again, I, that's why I'm so passionate about this thing and, and hopefully this will be her year. If you want to learn more... The account on Twitter is at InductJanet. Thanks again for your time, Mike. Thanks to every one of you for listening in. Okay, let me go ahead and get back to the informational, educational, edutainment part of the show. I've never really gotten a straight answer as to why this happens, but... A lot of artists, when their album comes out in Japan, they get these added value bonus tracks on the Japanese version. It happens more often than it doesn't. So if you bought the Velvet Rope in Japan, you got that track, which is God's Stepchild. So of course I really want that one because you guys heard me getting my head torn off by the Velvet Rope. So I want as much Velvet Rope as possible and it just so happens there are other tracks from that period out there. is called Accept Me, and you can find that on some versions of the Every Time single. And to me, it sort of wraps a lot of the themes of the Velvet Rope with the basically not liking what you see in the mirror, always feeling like you're not good enough, that imposter syndrome thing. All of the issues that Janet was going through internally, they're all sort of represented in some way in Accept Me. And I think that's probably why it ended up being a B-side. I can tell you from experience, there was a group that I was in called Claire and the Potatoes, and we had a song called Nut Job that hit 
so many themes on our record that we were like, well, if you've heard this, why do you even need to listen to the rest of the record? So we scrapped it and never did anything with it. And that would be my guess as to why Accept Me didn't make it to the final track listing or even as a Japanese bonus track because it's every bit as good as everything else on the album. And when I first heard it, I was a little offended that it was left off. Like relegated to B-side territory? That was just unfair. And Accept Me is actually the tune that got me so hot on Janet's B-sides. And that sort of kicks off a period of non-album singles that all did very well in the charts that were usually attributed to Janet Jackson and somebody else. Janet would mostly sing the choruses, the hooks on these things, but still get equal co-billing. One such example is Shaggy. Um, You know Shaggy from that track, Boombastic, and of course, it wasn't me. There's a song called Love Me, Love Me, and apparently Shaggy did not have a very good time working with Janet on this tune, and I listened to it, and I went, you know, this this is fine, I don't hear any acrimony here, and ditto for 1999's What's It Gonna Be with Busta Rhymes. That was a massive hit, so big that it eventually found its way to a later Janet compilation, which we'll talk about, and Girlfriend Boyfriend from Blackstreet, and I think Eve also appears on that track. This period between The Velvet Rope and All For You. Her singles, they kept coming, but it was sort of like piggybacking on the back of what the other artists were doing. But piggybacking is not the right word, because all of these artists, no doubt, went to Janet and were like, please, 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 please be on our song. And if you're Janet, you probably get these kinds of requests all the time, and you want to shake them off like a bad case of fleas. But here's one that deserves a little bit of attention that doesn't really fall into any category that I've talked about before. In 1999, the Pepsi Corporation was in the middle of rebranding themselves for the international markets, and they tapped on none other than Janet Jackson to sort of appear in the commercials and be the spokesperson for their endeavor. This came with a new song from Janet, so the track could be used in a really short way in commercials, but it was also one of those things where if you save enough proofs of purchases, you might be able to send away for the single. And I don't really know how this song was distributed because I knew nothing about this song until I was watching an unauthorized documentary DVD called Janet Exposed, where they talked about it. And 1999 was still in that period where people would give artists a bunch of crap for showing up in commercials. Um, something about, you know, I don't know, it was like this 90s dream ideal where, no, the music must be pure at all times or something, but hey, man, everybody's got to get paid, right? So, regardless, let's take the commercial aspect out of the picture for just a second, and I'm going to just play you the first verse of the song Ask For More, which seriously makes drinking a Pepsi sound like the most erotic thing you can do with your body. Feel you, hold you, taste you as you travel deep into my senses. So refreshing, soon you will open up the door. So that's just an excerpt, okay? That's not even close to the full thing. The the full mix that I've been able to track down is around six minutes. 
it's really a sleeper in her catalog. But man, it's a really cool tune, and I think if I had to just point to one thing that sums up the genius of what Janet can do, it would be you hand someone the most boring job in the world, right? If you're a songwriter, write a jingle for Pepsi. And then that's what Janet comes up with. That's it. Argument over. But the episode's not over. For example, if you bought the album All For You in Japan in 2001, you got a bonus track called Who. And this tune, it's yet another one where you hear just a little bit and you go, this is totally the flavor that I love from the album. Why is this one? Why'd you pick this one to be the obscure tune? time I think I've got a handle on the method to the madness of the disarray of some of the coolest parts of Janet's discography, a track like Who pops up and I go, no, this, for anybody else, this would be the single. But for Janet, this is just, eh, Japan might like it. Mind-blowing, right? In this same period, though, Janet would also appear on a single from Beanie Man, just doing the hook. But... Okay, here's where we need to have a serious talk, alright? It's just me and you here. We gotta talk about the Demita Joe era of Janet's recording career. That's a hint of the song Put Your Hands On Me, which is available on the Japanese edition of Demita Joe. Also with a track that I don't think you can get elsewhere called I'm Here. Now, why did we need to have this talk? So, I don't know quite how to put this. I'm just going to lay it out there. Demita Joe is maybe not as beloved as all the records in that Holy Quinn trilogy of Control, Rhythm Nation, Janet, Velvet Rope, and All For You. However, it's not a bad record by any means, but it is a confusing record when you hear what didn't make the album. If you go to the Wikipedia page for Demita Joe and you dig deep, you find out all these tracks that almost made it and then disappeared, but they are also out there. Tracks like Put It On Me, uh, there's one called Love Me, uh, there's one that made it to an unofficial Russian pressing called Could This Be Love? There's a song called Rough, spelled R-U-F-F. It was a Neptunes production. And that one, they liked so much, they almost brought it back to be on the album Discipline. There is a lot, I mean a lot, of leftover stuff from Demita Joe. And because of the fact that this isn't really officially out there, I can only tell you, it is out there. It can be heard. And it wouldn't be a waste of your time. Shortly thereafter, Janet did the hook on Chingy's track, Don't Worry. But this is what I really want to hammer home for you. I was nervous to say that 20YO didn't really do it for me on the level that, you know, the folks that love it, you know, there are folks that really like that record. It's a divisive album. But just like with Demita Joe, not only did the songs that didn't make it to the official album 
not only are they every bit as good, in some cases, they are actually better. So in Japan, you get the version with Days Go By and a song called Roll With You. I can only speak for myself when I say that in tracks like Roll With You and Days Go By, which didn't make it to the album proper for 20YO, I hear a little more heart than I hear in the rest of those tunes. And that alone makes 20YO even more perplexing for me than it already was. As a matter of fact, really early on in the promotional cycle for 20YO, while they were trying to drum up some interest for the record, they put a song on Janet's website called Weekend. And, of course, it's a no-brainer that fans would download this, listen to it, and think it's indicative of where they're going. And while it does musically have some things in common with 20YO, it's really frustrating that it's good enough to get you excited about the record, but somehow wasn't good enough to make the record. So I was already perplexed by 20YO, but when I realized what the marketing strategy was, promoting the album with songs that wouldn't even be on it, I got even more confused by 20YO. I just don't know if it's meant to be between me and 20O. But, of course, the track is a Debbie Deb cover, so I can kind of see why you wouldn't want a cover as your lead single, but still. Come on, you guys get what I'm on about, right? Anyways, let's talk about the Japanese edition of the album Discipline. And that's Let Me Know, which you can find on the UK and Japanese versions of Discipline. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash results to claim your credit. That's LinkedIn.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And I think the reason that these songs started getting relegated to bonus track territory, well, it's actually more obvious than it seems. 
The early 2000s with the advent of peer-to-peer file sharing, Napster, downloading, etc. Whatever you want to call it, there's no arguing that it completely killed the CD singles market. And with no CD singles, no cassette singles, and 7 inches not even close to making a comeback for years and years and years, where were you going to put that exclusive track? Where were you going to put that song that you liked, but it didn't quite jive with what you wanted to do with the record? I think that adds up to a lot. But that also tells me that if Janet always produces way more than she's ever going to put on any given record, man, there must be some real goodies hiding somewhere in Janet's vault. In 2009, depending on what part of the world you lived in, there was a compilation called Number Ones, and in some parts of the world, it was called The Best. And this is a good place to go if you want to get as many of the non-album singles in one place as you possibly can. So, songs like Diamonds, or The Best Things in Life Are Free, or Scream, or Doesn't Really Matter, the Nutty Professor version of it, or, you know, What's It Gonna Be... Plus a, a new track called Make Me. A lot of those big singles can all be found in one place. Plus you get the new jam with Make Me. And of course there's the killer song Nothing, which Janet made for the soundtrack to the film that she also appeared in, Why Did I Get Married To. To is spelled T-O-O. And finally, the last studio record to date, Unbreakable, comes with a litany of bonus tracks, all quite interesting. That's just a hint of one of the bonus tracks called Love You For Life. A lot of the bonus tracks are just different remixes of the song No Sleep, but... There is a version that's got Love You For Life and a completely different and much longer version of the song Promise Of You that appears on the record. And of course, there is Made For Now. I don't know what Made For Now is going to be. Is that just going to be a single? Is that the name of a full record? Either way, we know Janet is up to something. Some people may have turned their back on Janet in the mid-2000s, but have you noticed lately? She's in all the headlines... Getting all the accolades, people losing their wigs every time she appears. Janet actually is made for now. All of the things that she said throughout her career when she was behind the wheel, those are finally becoming... Well, those beliefs are what people would argue makes you a social justice warrior now. Janet wasn't just ahead of her time with the sounds... She was ahead of her time with the message, the way she carried it out, and the poise and grace with which she did it. And let's not forget that the very fact that Janet Jackson made it to where she is is kind of like moving mountains. I mean, really think about this. She could have just allowed her father to continue getting her record deals and production. She could have done it. It's not as if the Jacksons weren't hit makers, but she didn't do that. She wanted to do it her own way. She emancipated herself, found a way that she could be in 100% control of her own career, did that as, well, I mean, let's face it, women weren't being taken terribly seriously in the music industry at all points in time, but especially in the 1980s, and especially a strong black woman. 
please allow me to go on about this for just another moment here. I'd like to give you a different analogy. Let's say that you come from a family that is, I don't know, say the heir to the Smucker's jelly fortune, right? Everybody can agree that's pretty good jelly. But you, you've got different ideas for jelly. And yeah, you could bring it to your family, but instead, you went and made your own jelly corporation while living in the same house as those who make the most famous jelly in your country. And on top of it, you convince people this jelly is just as good and it's different and it's better, but it's also this thing. And you make yourself a millionaire in the process and you become an inspiration and someone to look up to, a role model the world over. And the records were good. <laughs> I know I lost the jelly analogy when I started talking about the records. But seriously, that is the trajectory that Janet Jackson took. What she did was not easy. I doubt Janet Jackson would even recommend it to you besides just saying, hey, listen to your heart and do what your heart tells you to do. That's what I'd imagine she would say. There is frankly no set of logic where what Janet Jackson set out to do should have ended up with her being where she is. But she did it, and she became the inspiration for millions, millions, millions of people. I began this journey on discography merely as a curiosity. Do these records stand up? Do they stand the test of time? Do I even like them? I come out the other end completely impatient. I can't wait to see what Janet's going to do next. I ended up becoming a true blue Janet Jackson fan through my research in this season. And I want to thank each and every one of you for taking this ride with me. I'd like to give a special shout out to the Janet fans. Specifically, if you want to check in on what they're doing, hashtag JanFam. That'll get you where you're wanting to go. Sometimes if you say, oh, hey, uh, I don't understand this thing. Well, the difference between scary fandoms and the Janet fans is they will actually show up and go, oh, hey, Mark, here's what you wanted to know. Thanks for listening to Janet. Like, you were the coolest fandom. <laughs> I, I've seen fandoms in my day, and you guys are the nicest and the sweetest and the most welcoming. And I think that really sums up a lot of what a newcomer would need to know about Janet. Just look at the kindness and sweetness and devotion in her fan base. That's what Janet Jackson breeds. That's amazing. And it's something that's all too rare in current pop music. Thanks so much for taking this dive with me. Discography will return in just a few short months. Don't worry, we got other great podcasts here on the Consequence Podcast Network to keep you busy. No hints on who the next artist is going to be, but I would say that you wouldn't have to think very hard, especially if you've been paying very close attention to the exact wording I have used at certain times. Okay, I'm heading off for now. Thank you to every single one of you, and especially to Janet Jackson for making all these jams for us to talk about in the first place. Until next time, I'll see you around, friends. Background music for discography provided by Chris Zabriskie. Find out more about Chris at chrissabriskie.com. Consequence Podcast Network.